Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered. I'm your host, Ron Huntley, and today we'll be speaking with a cancer survivor. Reverend David McGinley wrote a book called Beyond Surviving, Cancer and Your Spiritual Journey. I have family members and friends who are wrestling with cancer right now, and if you are too, I want you to know you're not alone. You're going to love this episode. Enjoy. Lift off and the clock has started. In our Lenten mission of 2021, one of our speakers was David McGinley. David is a chaplain in cancer, palliative care, and intensive care at the QE2 Health Science Center in Halifax, and he is our guest today. Welcome to the show, David McGinley. Thank you, Ron. So good to be here. It's nice to catch up again because that talk that you gave, which is on our website at ctkdartmouth.com, really impacted a lot of people. And I was so excited to be able to bring you back on the podcast and dive deeper into some of the topics that we that you spoke into because you made a big impact on us. You never know what your words are going to say. And we, I'm always amused at how we put so much energy and anxiety into the content of our words when really it's the quality of our presence that makes an impact on people. You know, and that's how we're a vessel for this, the spirit, right? The, mm. the love. And I'm so grateful to hear that positive feedback because we really don't know how we're present most of the time. We're, we're usually oblivious to those subconscious indicators, the, the tone of our voice, the pace, the cadence. And I'm just grateful that uh, I was relaxed and we were engaged and uh, the moment carried us to something really beautiful. People don't often remember what we say, but they do remember how we made them feel. Exactly. That's so cool. So the, it really rests on the quality of presence you have with yourself. And uh, if we could only get out of our own way and relax into the moment, I think more beautiful things would happen. I agree with you. One of the things that I find a struggle as a Christian is settling into the presence of God. And I know you've been doing some thinking around that in terms of the presence of God. Let's break that open a bit. I have so many friends who I love and care about who listen to the podcast that you know aren't sure where they're at with faith and God. And, and, and so let's just crack that open a bit in terms of the presence of God. Yeah, um, one of the first, I think, healthy steps in that is something quite radical. Uh, and that is um, to forget about the labels, the word God, the word spirit. Forget about the language and the concepts and give yourself, surrender yourself to this moment and just be present. Because if God is anywhere, Essentially, God is always here in the present moment. All moments, all aspects of reality emanate from and are sustained by this divine consciousness continually. And the, the trajectory of that is what we call time. But show up fully in the moment, and you're going to meet someone 
it's going to be difficult to connect into the presence of God, especially in this age when we are so distracted. My phone is constantly giving me notifications. Uh, the demands upon, you know, my time and energy and work and everything, it's always give, give, and, you know, taking care of other people. Uh, it's, it's always distracted. I very rarely am I in the present moment. But when I do show up, then something different happens. How can we impale ourselves fully on the present moment? Mm. Or I should say, how can we, can we allow ourselves to be impaled on the present moment? It's, it's going to cause some distress because we're not used to silence. Mm. We're not used to contemplation. Just this morning, I, I meet with a group of men online every Friday morning. We call it the men's leadership gym. And, uh, and we always take some tough, we always take five minutes of silence after listening to some beautiful praise music and just invite people to be present. And the fellow that was leading it this morning, he's French. He has a really strong French accent. And so English is his second language. And he asked in his prayer, give us the grace to experience silence. That's what it was, but that's what he wanted to say. But instead he said, give us the grace to be silence, not Ooh. silent, to be silence. Yeah. It's like, oh, that was a whole different meaning to be silent or to be silence. We tend to think of silence as an absence of noise. We don't realize that uh, ontologically speaking, a philosophical term referring to the nature of being, okay. ontologically speaking, silence is the animating ground of being from which everything else emanates, emerges, right? Uh, and silence is an essential quality I think of of God's essence, pregnant and full of creative energy. Um, it is it is this living presence that we disappear into at the best of times. I have experienced that sporadically. It's absolute. Oh, I I, I can't put it into words. It's beautiful to even hear you talk like that. Years ago, I had a vision. I've, I've been blessed. I have a few over my lifetime, very profound. And in this particular one, I was walking beside Jesus. I was fully awake while I was having this vision. And I was, I'm, I was sitting in a chair at home in the middle of the afternoon, self-employed at the time. And, and so it's by myself. And we were walking side by side in perfect silence, but in perfect communion and harmony. It was the weirdest thing. Like it was like a conversation was going on, but we weren't speaking. And I want to, uh, to, to, to affirm that and raise people's curiosity about it because there was a study done by the uh, Institute of Noetic Sciences wondering, do these what are called mystical, they call them exceptional experiences, do these happen a lot? You know, there's about, I think, 730 um, saints and, um, you know, say holy figures in the Christian tradition who have had profound mystical experiences. Is it something that happens to the average person? Specifically, they wondered, what about the most critical and uh, skeptical of people? Scientists and engineers are the group that they chose. <laughs> and they, uh, they did this, this survey and they compared 
exceptional experiences amongst that group to the average population and then to people they called enthusiasts. Now, you and I would be enthusiasts. <laughs> okay. Astonishingly, what they found was 93% of scientists and engineers have had a mystical experience. This was from a cohort of about 3,000 people. Holy smokes. Literally. So why don't they talk about it? Well, because you worry people will think you're crazy. You wonder if it was hallucination. You or worse yet, they'll call you religious. Right. <laughs> religious, right? Yeah. Uh, credibility is a huge thing, uh, and it doesn't fit into the material mindset, right? The material reductionist paradigm of reality, upon which science is based, and through which science has given us such amazing technology and advances for civilization. Yes. So how about in the general population, about 94%, 95 and in enthusiasts, it was up, you know, 96, 97 so generally, it means it's a universal phenomenon. Everyone at some point in their life is going to have a non-physical, unexplainable, altered sense of consciousness. Now, if we arise, if reality, the universe, is something that emanates from and is sustained from a dimension of pure consciousness, which we call spirit, which we call God, then of course it would be a universal phenomenon because your consciousness is the only real estate you share with God. It's going to be the overlap. And most of these experiences were not visions of the Lord. God bless you for having that. I, right. I also had, had one of those. Uh, but they are interesting. It can be anything from you, you were thinking of someone and they called and there was such a resonance and synchronicity of experience from the heart connection that you just couldn't shake it, right? To the moderate experiences, which we might call interlocutions, right? Uh, something popular, uh, contemporary spirituality and culture calls psychic phenomenon, unexplainable, non-local mind. And then the advanced ones, like out-of-body near-death experiences or uh, dreamlike states and visions. These are universal, and they've been going on, of course, throughout all of humanity, but we write them off in our Western material mindset, in this scientific model of reality, which ironically is so... Um, Satisfying. <laughs> is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that you had that vision. I, and remember the feeling? Oh, remember yeah. the feeling of being in that presence? Because it took me to something that I was wrestling with and didn't know my own yeah. sinfulness, actually, and, and actions that I'd taken for years of my life that I just wrote off as, oh, well, that, that was no big deal. And, and then he revealed to me the consequences. And I, poof, I, I probably cried for a good three hours because yeah. I was cut to the heart. You know, I could relate to. You know, that the, the, in scripture, it talks about tearing the clothes and beating your chest and falling in ashes and <laughs> sackcloth. But it's that this physical reaction yeah. to, to a spiritual truth that I didn't ask for and I didn't see coming. I was taken there and shown something. Nobody was around. It was just me. And, and boy, mm -hmm. did I ever repent from that. 
behavior and own the consequences of it that I really never thought about previously. You know, I found the, uh, the greatest learning I've had in life has come from the mistakes and poor choices I've made. And um, they, they, they cling to me, uh, but they don't own me, right? I, I continue to learn from them. Uh, one of the insights I gained was the, the mystery of when we do not know how to love, we inadvertently or intentionally injure those that we do love. It's all a growth in love. How do I love? For God is love. Well, I, I love inconsistently, imperfectly. I bumble along. And, um, you know, the grace will take me the rest of the way. Mm. Wow. David, you wrote a book uh, entitled Beyond Surviving Cancer and Your Spiritual Journey. Share with our listeners a little bit about your spiritual journey with cancer and where this book came from. Cancer has been my greatest spiritual teacher. Um, I've had it four times. started when I was 17. Uh, a type which does not spread out or metastasize and compromise your body. That way, mine sits as an encapsulated tumor. It's called uh, paranganglioma. These tumors make a Molotov cocktail of chemicals norepinephrine, dopamine, um, and when your adrenal gland turns on, it causes the tumor to blow. That kills you in uh, under a minute. There is no chemotherapy and there's no radiation that will help. Only surgery, and that's a bomb squad going in to defuse this thing. And if you survive the surgery, you live to see another day. I'm very lucky <laughs> to have survived four. Um, they uh, are rarely recurrent. Uh, 90% are benign, mine are not. 90%, um, on, only 10% are recurrent, mine, and only uh, 10% are, um, are, are, are what they're recurrent because they're metastatic. So I'm a rare bird. And uh, I was 17. And then it came back when I was 27. And I was a seminary student. I was on internship at a church in British Columbia. And um, then the third and fourth time, I was 35 and then 38. And each time um, taught me something new. Uh, it, um, it taught me about meditative prayer, right? Because when your adrenal gland is, these catecholamines and everything, they're blowing your, your system, your sympathetic nervous system, and your blood pressure is going crazy. Your heart is racing and you're sweating and you're going to collapse and your stomach's in cramps and the pain is awful. I had to use meditation and centering prayer, you know, flow through me, Lord, flow through me. Maranatha, Maranatha, come Lord, come Spirit, flow through. I had to get out of my own way. I had to override my nervous system and these chemicals. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I did it well, and others I didn't. Um, one time, uh, that, when I was in seminary, that second round, I was doing a, a hospital uh, church service in the chapel. And so there were patients and families, and there was doctors and nurses there. And the tumor kicked in because public speaking is one of the most anxiety-provoking things you can do. <laughs> and every time I didn't know that every time I was getting into the pulpit, I was taking my life into my hands. 
I could die. And um, I had collapsed several times in the past. Uh, but I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I'm pretty stubborn, and I just kept trying. Yeah. So there I am in a hospital chapel, and it blows. I have put a lot of people unconscious on Sunday mornings, but it's not good when the minister becomes unconscious. <laughs> not good. Ron, that was the only Sunday that I have ever truly worshipped. It was the only Sunday I've ever truly felt the praise and the love because I had a near-death experience. And I suddenly found myself on a grassy hill. And there was a tree at the top of the hill, and it all sounds so simple. But I felt every blade of grass as it moved. I felt the light emanating from everywhere. I felt the trees, branches, achingly drinking in that light, which was love, which was sacred. I was overjoyed and I felt and exclaimed, I'm home. I'm finally home. This was what I'd longed for all of my life and I didn't even know it. And the word home is used by people who have these experiences, which are much more common than you may think. Hmm. One, one in 10 people who have a cardiac or heart episode will have a degree of this experience. Um, it's estimated uh, a thousand, about a thousand people have it every day in the United States. Um, they're very common. Uh, so I say the word home because I was suddenly congruent and authentic and integrated. Here, as I speak to you, I'm thinking about the words I just said and the nice coffee I had and, you know, lunch is coming. And am I, am I fully present? Not really. No, no disrespect, man. but. Uh, but there I was fully present. There was no subconscious. There was no ego. There was no fractured sense of identity. There was no memory. There was only now and here. And I was whole and complete, which technically is the meaning of the word salvation. To be whole. We tend to think of salvation as, well, I will, I will be in heaven afterwards or it's life after death. But no, Jesus always referred to it. In a sense, it doesn't translate well in English, but you are complete and whole in God, in spirit. This is the ground of your being, and it's always there, but we're so separated from it. And I wasn't alone. Uh, there was an entity there who felt like my best friend. Uh, he was so powerful, compassionate, uh, joyful. Um, the authority, the majesty, and yet uh, the relaxed nature really felt like my best friend. And a lot of people say, well, wasn't that Jesus? And I never assumed they would send the big guy. I thought it was, you know, a junior from the warehouse or someone. <laughs> but no, no less infused with that, <laughs> with his spirit. You know, if it was the Lord, wonderful. It was certainly him in the full presence of the character, right? And when we talk about praying in the name of Jesus, that's what it means to pray in the character, in, in the whole connection that he had. It's so fragmentedly expressed in us. Anyway, we talked. We, we walked. I wanted to run to the tree, but he said I couldn't go up there. And we talked about my life. And he basically said, it's great to see you, David. 
things are going very well. You can't stay. You have to go back. And of course, I protested. I, I didn't want to go back. I said, that's ridiculous. Why would I go back there? I'm here. I'm finally home. Come on, let's run to the tree. Because I knew if I got to that tree, I would never come back here. Mm. I knew there was a here and a there. And what was here was not significant to me. Mm. Um, what was significant was this full embeddedness in the present moment infused with spirit and love. As we talked, I knew I wasn't going to win the argument. My heart began to sink, and I remember pleading, please don't, you, you can't send me back. Please don't do that. Right? I feel it now. You're, you're forever homesick for what you saw. And, um, and he put his hand on my shoulder. And he, he laughed, this endearing affection poured into me. And he just said, we will be with you, right? Whatever we means, the Trinity, the host of angels, I, I don't know. But he affirmed that I wouldn't be alone. He said, you got a lot of work to do. <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot of work to do. And I, I know now that that wasn't just work here on earth. I had a lot of growing up to do. I had to grow in love. I had to grow into love. Just like into silence, let me be silence. Mm. Then boom, I, I was back, which is horrible. Because suddenly you feel the density of your flesh and the pull of gravity and the, your, your mind compresses into these totally impoverished thoughts, inadequate to the experience. Your words must bumble out in a linear chain instead of consciousness to consciousness, heart to heart communication. And everything is so two-dimensional here compared to that. And I, um, they took my vitals, they wrapped me in a blanket, they gave me some orange juice, they chalked it up to nervousness, hypo, you know, hypo, what does it call them? You know, I'm, I'm six foot eight. I sometimes black out when I stand up too fast. But it's a anyway. lot of blood to push up pretty high. Yeah, they, they sent me home. And you know what I did? I didn't tell anyone. I crawled into my bed and I cried and I grieved. I, I held it in my heart for years because I didn't know what to do with it. What do you do when you move from one level of reality and consciousness, this one, to one so expansive and complete, and then you're compressed and fragmented back into this existential dissonance to the infinite degree? So you compartmentalize it, you shove it into your subconscious, you don't know what to do with it. Yeah, you'd think I'd get up on the pulpit next Sunday and share, but I didn't. Mm. It took me years to integrate this. It was so vast. And when you talk about it, and I feel this now, you're homesick. Mm. Right now. Uh, if I tell you, and your 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 audience, <clears throat> right there, my eagle mindset, get your get your voice deep and get yourself together here because they're listening. <laughs> Notice how the ego is always trying to keep control. Um, the heartache is the the longing is indescribable. I think of Saint Paul 
who, who said, I believe he had a near-death experience in, in uh, Letter to the Corinthians. He talks about, I know a guy who went to the third level of heaven and saw things that cannot be spoken of. I'm pretty sure he's talking about himself, but he's trying to be modest because he was addressing a church community that was full of braggarts and um, super apostles who were, right, who were claiming great spiritual powers and everything. And Paul was trying to make this church healthier and address them. But he was like, who am I? I'm the guy who persecuted the Christians and killed them. And then the Lord appeared to me and how can I even share this? So he, Anyway, the, the passage that strikes me is he says, how I long to be with the Lord, but it is better than I'm here with you. I hear the homesickness in his voice right there. I so, never thought about it from that perspective. Like that gives me a whole new perspective at considering that scripture and some others. Yeah. Makes sense. I read with new eyes. Mm -hmm. I wonder, you know, he speaks of these mysteries that cannot be put into words. And I, I have a, a sense of that. I, I, I feel like I just touched my toe on the doorstep of heaven, right? Mm -hmm. Of whatever mystery awaits us there. I didn't go very far, but I went far enough to change me. Even as and, you, oh, sorry, Dave, go ahead. No, no, well. I just want to emphasize that uh, having these experiences kind of messes you up because mm. you're, you're longing, you're homesick for what you saw. And, and actually, addiction rates are higher because you're trying to fill that space. Unless you have faith and understanding, you don't know what, what to do with this. Mm. You're worried that it was a dream, but you cannot shake its effect upon you. It, it's apprehended you, and it will not let you go. Um, but when you when you realize what it is, you come back to yourself. You, you come back to the silence. You become the silence. It's beautiful. But I'm so inconsistent with it. <laughs> I, it doesn't make you enlightened. It makes you more aware of your humanity and you still make foolish choices and bumble along but it eliminates the fear of death. I bet. Gone. That's pretty oh. cool. Yeah. Actually, to be honest with you, since you spoke at our Lenten mission, there's a couple of things that left me changed. And one of them was your description of coming back into fragmented thinking and, and everything else. And I just, it made sense of, my, my experience of myself being because you know in, in our catholic tradition you know we have the eucharist and and i believe what we teach to be true that it's the real presence of god and even in the sacraments and my a bit my my inability to grasp the fullness and truth of that is actually embarrassing and I've, I have had moments of grace where I get the slightest glimpse of what it is that I'm, I'm participating in. But most of the time, I come with just this incredible poverty of, of being able to be present and participate in a way that I long for. It, and it breaks my heart 
Ron, as a Lutheran pastor who has celebrated the Eucharist hundreds of times, mm-hmm. and um, you know, in the Lutheran tradition, we believe uh, that the presence of God, of, of the Spirit of Christ, is we call it in, with, through, and under. Right. It's as close as you can get to 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 total transformation without the total transformation. We leave the rest to mystery, right? Yes. But I'm like, the real presence of Christ is here. And I'm saying these words. And I've actually held myself back from fully comprehending what I'm saying and what this is. Because I fear if I do realize it, I will not be able to speak. I will, I will weep, right? I maintain, I've, I've maintained some distance from it. Uh, and, and other times I've just allowed the mystery to be what it is, and I don't need to understand this or what I'm doing or what I'm taking in. It's not about my understanding. It's about, it's, it's not about me. It's about the presence of the Spirit. Well, even when I you, must, yeah. yeah, let that be what it'll be. Even when you tell your story of your near-death experience, you know, you, you said, I, I, I was home. I finally found what I was always longing for, even though you didn't even know it was there. Like, so it wasn't you. It was, you didn't even know it was, you didn't even know that was possible. And so yeah. it wasn't you cooking it up. It was you. And so that's such beauty in, in what we're talking about. I was apprehended by it. Uh, and thankfully, it wasn't about understanding. It was about heartfelt communion of consciousness. Oh, I disappeared into that beauty. And I think that's the task of, that's the role of healthy spirituality. It's not actually about you. It's not about, your spiritual practice is not about you feeling better or believing fervently. Uh, it is. We, we practice our faith on behalf of the world, not on our own behalf. We are to be instruments of love and compassion. Um, the, the benefits from it, connection, communion with, with the Lord, with the Spirit, um, quality of character, impact you have on the world, feedback you get, those are addendums, those are side effects. But the real purpose of our faith and our spirituality is to be a light unto the world, not unto ourselves. Mm. To do it unto ourselves is a way that ego will hijack spirituality for its own gratification, sense of importance, sense of control. Right? Ego will hijack and, uh, and that any time it can, and it's so subtle. Mm. But fundamentally, just just as you shared. I'm, I'm, I was completely unaware of the impact my words or my presence were having during the, our, our interview. That's what Spirit was doing. If I knew about it, I would have bunged it up right away. I would have, I would have gone, oh, well, I, I'm right on the money here. I'm on my game. Oh, this is good. Oh, my gosh, forget yourself. <laughs> so here's Jesus saying, those who would follow me must die to themselves, right? right. That's what it's about. Easier said than done, don't you find? Oh, constantly, because I'm just now this moment thinking, hey, that was a good line. I should write that down. Yeah, I got to tweet that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. 
Oh, that is so amazing. So how does that translate into like every morning right now, I'm currently praying for seven people, a family member, friends, and a couple of friends, close people, people to them. So seven people who have cancer. So I'm praying for healing peace for seven people right now, every morning for cancer and, and their battle with cancer. Your work in your book is, is cancer and your spiritual journey. How do you bring those two things together for people? Yeah. A crisis like cancer, while it threatens your life, it can amplify your life and deepen your humanity. It can shape and focus your love because it strips away all the foolishness. It reduces life to its priorities. Mm-hmm. And we negotiate with mortality from the moment we are diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Now, suddenly, we are doing the spiritual work of leaving childlike things behind, of um, realizing it's all about the unfinished love stories, for God is love. Mm-hmm. And we can use cancer to grow as fuel, right? Don't waste the crisis, use it as fuel to amplify your love. Uh, and I honestly believe if God is love, then anyone who is working on their love is doing sacred work. And that love is growing from a human level slowly into a divine level. Um, so I, I like to think that any crisis that threatens life, and here we are in a pandemic right now, right? We can, let's use it to mm-hmm. amplify the I wash my hands, not for my sake, but for the benefit of the world. It's now become a sacred ritual for me that I repeat. It returns me to my baptism, right? I'm washed in the water and I, right? It's a spiritual practice because, and and it's a ritual because I repeat it and it involves an object and an action and an intention for the benefit of others. Now my hands have never been cleaner. (laughs) My heart has never been more full. Um, so any crisis is going to threaten ego identity, who and what you think you are in this world. It is going to peel and erode that away. Ego will resist with all its defense mechanisms at hand. It will be a bumpy road. But um, if it reaches you to the new tomorrow, where you can love more deeply and feel life to a whole new level. Wow. Right. You will forever be able to feed off of that experience to become a better human being, to have a better sense of humor about yourself. And this will proceed inconsistently as it did with me. Right. How does, how does one cooperate with that? So if I'm a cancer patient and I'm listening to this and, um, you know, maybe I'm a believer, maybe I'm not but I am experiencing what you're talking about. How would, how would you suggest I cooperate with that? Um, by accepting the diagnosis, by not necessarily accepting the prognosis, right? Uh, by being open to the ambiguity of your future and to focus on the present moment and the gift of this day. To love as you can, 
the opportunities and the people who are brought across your path. To set aside your fears, not to eliminate them, worries and anxieties will always accompany the cancer road, but to observe them, even as, how do you do that? Even as your listeners, right? So for you listeners, as you're hearing me speak, I would like you for just a moment to step back and observe yourself listening to me. Observe yourself having the experience that you're having. In that very act, the noise of your mind may settle down a bit. You are moving into the ambiguity. You're moving back into the present moment. Observe your own experience. Don't fix it. Don't become calm. Don't try to stop the mind from thinking. Just watch it. And in the watching, a stillness will, you will, you will graze upon the edge of grace and stillness. The more you practice this, the more instinctive and intuitive it will come. And that's where spirit dwells, this moment. Um, I assure you that I am inconsistent in this. And I am as inconsistent and ridiculous as you are. <laughs> I, I keep practicing. <laughs> right? Be still and know that I am God? Yeah, for a moment. <laughs> try my best. Yeah, well, I got to stop trying, and I just got to breathe into it and observe. Observe. When I try, I put effort in, and when I effort, I control. It's such an important thing for us to bring to our, our personal devotional time. Uh, yeah, just it's just so many things, David, I'm able to take away with me today. Just for our listeners' sake, you know what's so cool? Like even if you're listening to this, you're probably think, man, I'd love to get to know David. <laughs> I know how you feel. I, I felt the same way, and I'm enjoying your friendship. Uh, you know, David also does work with hospitals, churches, um, hospices, first responders. Uh, does conferences with trauma and medical conferences. Also, the role of spirituality in the workplace. David does not only is he an author, but he is a speaker. And you can connect with him online. He has all kinds of social media platforms. Uh, DavidMcGinley.com would be a great place to go, and you connect to all of them from there. I hope more people get to encounter you, David. Your story, your words of deep insight. I, um, I look forward to those encounters, but may I never meet you at work. Hmm. Don't want to meet you at the hospital. If I do, I will be there for you. But um, let our let our connection through this podcast be, um, you know, I lift it up as a blessing to to both of us. Mm. I'm very grateful, Ron. I, I deeply appreciate this conversation and and getting to know you as well. Thank you for taking the time. And the courage it would have taken to write that book. We joked at the beginning that it took me ten, took you ten years to do it. You just wanted to do it so so you could do it so your mom could read it. And we laughed because the book is done very well. So I encourage our listeners grab that book, gain some insight into some of the things that we're talking about today. And I I know both of us. Our hope for you is that you will experience that peace, that that silence, and that integration of God in in the now mm. and practice that yeah um a little ego promotion here with that book uh just to encourage you if you're listening 
to follow your dream and your heart. I have, I've always been a mediocre student, and I never thought I could write a book. Uh, and it came pouring out of me after a difficult case, and I just kept being woken at two, four in the morning, and I kept writing and writing. The book has won the Nautilus Book Award, which uh, is given to um, nonfiction books that have made an impact on humanity. And it was voted one of the top 100 independently published books in the, in the United States in 2017. Wow. I, I was always a C student. How did this happen? I have no idea. Follow your heart. Follow that calling within you. And if it scares you a bit, then it's more authentic. All the more reason. And spirit, offer it up in partnership with spirit for it to do whatever it will do. You never know where it will take you. Love it. God bless you, David. Keep up the great work. Thank you for being our guest today. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast as much as I enjoyed recording it with Reverend David McGinley. Please rate this podcast, leave some comments, and share with a friend. Thanks for being on this journey. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time. And remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.